Welcome to another episode of The Raven Narratives. I'm Tom Yoder. And I'm Sarah Severson, and we're the co-producers of The Raven Narratives. The story you're about to hear was told by Tammy Hoyer in April at the Durango Arts Center and also at the Sunflower Theater when the theme was Rites of Passage. Tammy is a recent escapee from West Virginia and Illinois who wishes she had run west earlier. Her heart dances when hiking, skiing, sleeping under stars, and volunteering at park school and with the Durango homeless. When not meditating or doing easy yoga, she laughs with her husband, Mike. Together, they drive their border collies crazy. Here is Tammy's story. I'll move it back. (laughs) Good evening. This is really scary, you know that? Some uh, rites of passage take longer than others. Um, Several decades ago, I was at the Baltimore Aquarium, and at the time they had six-foot pictures of different fish. And one of them was this huge piranha with these huge teeth. So I was just kind of wandering around, and I came around this corner, and here was the piranha, and I went, Mom. Bill and and Shirley were my parents. I'm the oldest of three girls. My dad was an avid golfer, and Daddy had a scratch handicap until we got a little bit older and he had to participate in parenting a little bit more. Um, He wasn't really comfortable with that, but when I was 13, he and I spent the day together. My mom and sisters were were away at a swimming meet, and um, it was December, and we had just hung out and picked out a present for my mom. And I was just thrilled, you know, I had him all to myself. And he dressed for the first of three cocktail parties that night. And when he came down looking tall, dark, and handsome, he leaned over, and for once, I did not have to ask him to kiss me. He leaned over and gave me a kiss goodnight. He said, goodnight, Slim. He walked out the door, and I never saw him again. He went to the three cocktail parties, and because he drank a lot, he promised my mom he wouldn't drive home drunk. And so he stayed the night at the cocktail party and there was a smoky fire. It was probably set by a um, cigarette, maybe his cigarette. And he got the people out that lived there and he died of smoke inhalation. That left Shirley to raise my sisters and me. Now, for me, Shirley had always been a challenge. Even when I was a really little girl, Shirley was tough. She If I displeased her, she would make me this shunned little, insignificant little smudge on the horizon of her awareness for long periods of time. Or she would alternatively make me feel like I'd been dumped into an ice-cold vat of water in which it was dark and silent and I would furiously tread water so I wouldn't drown in the cold all by myself. Well, to solve this problem, I started building tents in the backyard when I was six and seven. And then, when that didn't work out too well, I started running away. I'd run away to my grandmother's house. She always brought me back. So at nine and 10, I decided to run away to a forest preserve. And I ran away this one last time, and I was gonna build a shelter and stay and live there, except it was November in Illinois, and it was really cold and wet. And I realized that was not a good plan, so I went home. After my dad died, My mom kind of crawled into the bottle and she and I would sit at the dining room table when my sisters were in bed. 
and she would drink crevassier on the rocks in her shot in her uh, large glass, and uh, after about the second or third drink, she'd start catastrophizing and start crying and criticizing. And she'd look like a, a really exhausted, burned out Doris Day. And she'd lean over to me sort of later in the evening on a couple of occasions and go, you know, Tam, you have missed the boat in life. <laughs> to solve this problem, I managed to get her to send me away to school for the last two years of high school. And then, miraculously, I got into college 2,000 miles away from Illinois in the West Coast, Bay Area, 1968. Yes. <laughs> Fun. However, the umbilical cord stretches thousands of miles. In my late 20s, I met and married the man I'm still married to after 40 years, except Mike was not my mother's cup of tea. She threatened not to come to the wedding, and she almost didn't come, but then realized that would look badly, so she came. And in my 30s, when I did not do things that she wanted me to do, she finally called me up one day and said, you know, if you don't start doing what I want you to do, you're going to be out of my life forever, and I've talked to an attorney. And I thought at that point, oh, she's going to write me out of the will, and she did. The Cold War continued for decades, and looking for warmth, I discovered my mother-in-law, Claire. Claire was only in my life for about four years before she died. But Claire would look at me with her brown eyes and my husband's smile, and she'd lean in and she'd say, I know what you like. I see you. And after she died, there was Ethel, my mother-in-law's best friend. Now, I met Ethel when she was 87, and Ethel was in my life for six years. And Ethel, with her halo of white hair and her twinkling blue eyes and her ch rosy cheeks, she put her arm and still puts her arms around me. And she leans in and she says, I love you, darling. So that Cold War would continue, and Claire and Ethel would show up for me onward through all that time, and I'd be warmed from the inside out when I was alone or sad or feeling empty or miserable. When I was 50, I got a phone call from my nephew who was overseas. Apparently my family wasn't going to tell me, but there was a bad outcome of a surgery for my mother, and he said you needed to get down to Florida right away. Well, I went on brain freeze. I'm really good in... Um, in crises, but that time I just, I couldn't think myself out of a paper bag. So my husband packed his frozen wife out into, a, into the plane and we went down to Florida. We walked into the hospital and my sisters were there and the neurologist said, you know, she's not going to recover from this. You should really think about your options. And so the three of us looked at each other and we went, okay. And he went a little taken back and he said, well, you might want to wait 24 hours. So we came back the next morning and we went, okay. And so I sat next to my mom, put my hand on her belly, and felt her breathe her last as she turned blue and silent. You know, there were tears, but we were all relieved. And when I went out, one of my siblings said, 
in the parking lot, you know, this is going to heal the family. And I went, <laughs> it didn't. When I got back to West Virginia, one of my friends said, you know, your mother's going to come back and she's going to be your advisor. And I went, <laughs> oh no, 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 no. But damn it, four months later, I'm driving in the car alone to a cabin and I hear the ice cubes in the highball glass and I can almost smell the cognac. And there's Shirley sitting in the car with me. I can feel her. She didn't have any function. She was pretty benign, but I was just going like, well, from time to time after that, she would just show up randomly. Claire and Ethel come to me, bidden or unbidden, when I need them. And Shirley would just show up. Well, that all changed in June when I went to a retreat in the mountains in New Mexico. You know, before that time, I had this long laundry list of things, of transgressions Shirley had committed against me. I mean, all my friends knew of some of the items on the list, and um, you know, they were, they were pretty potent, but I loved that list. I was in love with that list. I just felt arrogant that I'd actually survived Shirley relatively mentally intact. But at the retreat, I felt something shift, and I started realizing that there was a whole other list of things she had done right because she was really the result at every point in time in my life of causes over which she had no control over and of conditioning she had little control over. And I started remembering that among many things she had stopped perpetrators against my sisters and me throughout our childhood. She had stood up and stopped it. And she had gone to bat for me on two occasions with the medical system, which allows me to now stand here and I can hike and I can ski and I can dance. And so after the retreat, she started showing up as this baby. I, I like babies, I can hold babies. Well, okay, one time she showed up as this charred infant. I have no idea what that was about. <laughs> but subsequently, she showed up as this little girl and then as this teenager, and then as this lovely, smart, gracious, hopeful young woman. Well, I went back to the retreat center for another retreat in September, and I was sitting on a bench just looking at the sunrise come over the hill. It was cold. I was sitting there with my coffee, and there was Mom sitting there with her thermos of, of tea. Since that time, Ethel and Claire come to me and love me up from the inside. And now Shirley's there also. Mom pushes in between them and she belongs there. And now when I see my little granddaughter, I lean into Lily and I say, with both of them, my ladies at my heart, my mom, my back, I'd say, I love you, darling. Thank you.
Thank you, Tammy, for sharing your story with us. To pitch your story for a future Raven Narratives event, fill out the contact form on our website at ravennarratives.org. A list of our live storytelling events in 2019 is also on our website on the events page. Subscribe to the Raven Narratives podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or Stitcher, and share these stories with your friends. If a particular story makes you laugh, cry, or look at your world with a little bit more clarity, please leave a comment and let us know. Big thanks to our photographer, McCarson Lee of Red Scarf Shots. Check out the portraits of our storytellers on the gallery page of the Raven Narratives website, and be sure to visit her website at redscarfshots.com. And thanks to our fiscal nonprofit sponsor, Mancus Valley Resources. Find out more about the wonderful projects they support in the Mancus Valley of Colorado at mancusvalleyresources.com. The website for buying Raven Narratives tickets, ravennarrativestickets.org, was created by Cortez Web Services. Check out how they can help your business online at cortezweb.com. And our theme music was written and composed by Mo Cooley and performed by Mo and the Motones. Find out more about their music on the Motones Facebook page. That's M-O-E Tones on Facebook. Now for the outtake. <laughs> Just saved us like five minutes by spending 15 minutes doing that. That was fun. <laughs> Another In the end. level of efficiency. <laughs> so <laughs> it's our greatest joy to be efficient, isn't it? It really is. Waka, waka, waka. <laughs> <laughs>